Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here today, guys. I uh, I really appreciate it. And I'm excited because the story to follow, it's of my young self and my childhood best friend. It's a glimpse into my experience with one of the greatest games in this world. It's about lifelong relationships and self-fulfillment and failures. Enjoy the story and thanks again. Chasing the State Open. To journey happily may well be better than to arrive successfully. Jordan Peterson. It's a beautiful day in St. Paul, Minnesota. The sun's shining and I'm playing golf. It's a combination that's never let me down. But most importantly, on this amazing day, I'm spending time with my best friend, a friend that I played over at least 100 rounds of golf with. But today we aren't just goofing around on the golf course. We're playing in a PGA qualifying tournament. I'm playing in the tournament, and my best bud is caddying for me. This qualifying tournament of about 70 players provides 10 spots into the second biggest golf tournament in Minnesota each year, the Minnesota State Open. We're on the 12th hole of the tournament, and I'm in total control of my game. I'm pounding drives, I'm hitting crisp iron shots, and I'm just having a blast enjoying the game that I've really come to love. I wouldn't say that it's this flow state or anything crazy. I'm simply hitting the ball smoothly, you know, with confidence and conviction. I've found this suitable level of focus and freedom. It's that coveted loose but not lazy state. My score is currently even par through the 12th hole. And if I were to end the round remaining at even par, my best friend and I would be on our way to the Minnesota State Open to play with the best players that Minnesota has to offer. I simply just have to close out six more holes. But before we spoil the finish, let's jump back to the beginning. Summer 2016. It's the middle of summer 2016 in Minnesota. I'm on the golf course with one of my best buds, Sam. We're gonna call him Swarney. It's the summer after our last year of college and we're both kind of unsure at where our futures are headed. But one thing was abundantly clear that summer. We're both having the time of our lives playing golf. Swarney and I basically grew up together. He lived 10 houses down the road from me. We, uh, we grew up outside competing in our yards, playing basically every sport imaginable, from you know snow football to wiffle ball in the summers. During snow days, well, the best days ever as a kid, we would watch movies or play what seemed like endless games of pool. As we grew up, we stayed close, and at this point in 2016 summer, we had recently returned from uh, traveling to Europe together. <laughs> it was an awesome trip. You know, Swarney's just one of those guys that I could call in the middle of the night if I did something wrong. He's the no questions asked, you know, has your back kind of friend. So let's jump back to summer 2016. We're playing a below average public golf course, you know, from a forward tee of about, I don't know, 6,200 yards. Basically, it's just an extremely easy golf course uh, compared to the ones that I played in my PGA events you know, today. As we arrive on the 18th tee, the final hole of the course, I'm 19 shots over par, or uh, plus 19. And on the last hole, I top my tee shot, I dribble it off the front of the tee box, and Swarney tosses me a ball and says, hit another one. So I re-tee it with no penalty, of course, and I slice my second effort, I don't know, maybe 240 yards into the right trees. We pick up my first ball and uh, drive up to my second ball. 
We moved the ball away from the tree so I have a clear shot and I fluffed the ball up nice so on the top of the grass, making it for an easy shot. I uh, hit the ball up to the right side, rough of the green. I hit a crappy chip shot that just kind of stumbles onto the front of the green and I two-putt. That's a bogey. (laughs) The real rules of golf, they would of course say otherwise. But at the same time, this isn't a PGA Tour event. We're We're just out here having fun. So we walk to the cart and we add up the scores. Sam shot 83 and I shot 92. That's a pretty normal score for me at this point. I do at times show flashes of being able to hit actual good shots, but in general, I'm pretty lost on the golf course. If I had to play in a real tournament, counting all my shots, oh boy, would it be ugly. I would have a slim chance of breaking 100. And the chance of ever playing in the Minnesota State Open? Well, that's just flat out crazy talk. None of that stuff mattered though. I was just falling in love with the game of golf. I mean, until recently, I'd say that summer of 2016 was probably the most fun I've ever had playing golf. Swarney and I played what felt like every single day. We just couldn't get enough of it. I had golf casually growing up, maybe five to ten times each year with friends and family, but I just never really got into it. I missed out because I was like laser-focused on football, a more mainstream sport, and it was just part of my identity. But there's something about golf that's just different. Maybe it's being outside, being in nature, and just getting that free flow of air. Maybe it's because when you play, you play with friends and family generally, and people that you uh, people that you like and love. But it could be the actual game, how each shot's on you, and there's no faking it or shying away, and the variety and different types of shots. You know, you chip, you putt, you hit drives. Um, the courses are different, each different grass and different style. It's, there's so much to it. Whatever it is, golf's now the sport that I love. And it's the game that I'll be playing until I'm an old man. Swarney and I continued to golf that entire summer. We both got slightly better, and I started to actually understand the basics of the game. We had loads of fun playing little heads-up matches and trying to top the best score of the summer. And as fall rolled around, I just couldn't shake the golf bug. So that following winter, I decided to go into the PGA program. I emailed dozens of different courses about job openings and only heard back from three places. I mean, I probably emailed and called at least 40 or 50. One of the responses I received was from this uh, cool young PGA member. He was a guy who happened to be the owner and operator of a golf course. We connected instantly when I went up to interview and that spring I took the job of assistant golf professional for the upcoming year. I would be able to learn the game of golf and the golf business and be able to practice and play as much as I wanted when I wasn't working. It was a pretty huge leap, but I always knew that I wanted to own my own business and for sure make a positive impact on others. A golf course, it kind of seemed like the perfect place to do that. So I took the jump. Failing forward. To stand up straight with your shoulders back means to voluntarily transform the chaos of potential into the realities of habitual order. It means adopting the burden of self-conscious vulnerability. Jordan Peterson. I've always been inspired by those who dream big. It seems like dreamers are the ones who actually make magic in the world. They're the ones who seem to really move and to really change it. I'm starting to understand that To dream big, it really has nothing to do with some mystical place in the future or a pedestal to stand upon. Dreaming big is about actually living the life you've envisioned. 
and loving and living that life each and every day. The two and a half years following the summer of 2016, well, they were humbling to say the least. It was my introduction and acclimation to the actual game of golf. At times, I embarrassingly learned the actual rules and regulations of the game. I mean, who knew? You're not allowed to just adjust your ball after each shot and put in a perfect lie? (laughs) I quickly became aware of how bad my golf game actually was and how far away it was from the level of a, a scratch golfer or let alone a PGA professional or someone playing golf for a living. But those adaptations... They were nothing compared to the, the hurdle that I faced when I found out that it was time for need of a swing change. The, the thought of a swing change, that was just the beginning of madness. I mean, I was just starting to understand golf. And the goal of bettering my swing, it sent me on a two-year grind of, constantly, of constant trial and error, of different technique alterations. I mean, yeah, there were a few good days in there, but generally, it was a struggle trying to change my swing all the time. Failure, it became a daily and frequent occurrence in my life. But it was necessary. My old swing was inefficient and unpredictable, to say the least. The swing change all started with a few simple lessons. and eventually got to the point where I'm two hours deep in YouTube videos at 12.30 at night comparing each little tip to a video of my swing. It was ridiculous. And I mean, sometimes after a new change, I'd hit it better for a few days, but most of the time it would get worse. Like when a modification would work, it would usually end quickly as I like, as I would overdo the adjustment or I'd resort back to old habits. I adjusted seriously almost every aspect of my golf swing. And by everything, I do mean everything. Um, my grip, my takeaway, my club position at the top of the swing, my, my swing path the angle that I attacked the ball, different body rotations, my stance. I mean, body position and impact, (laughs) whatever you say, name it. Even the fall through to finish, you know, you got to look good at the end. But it takes substantial time to change just one of these things. My foolish brain needed to change everything. I was always experimenting and changing something. The details behind the evolution of my golf swing are for another day. The point here is that there was always serious failure there. There were months of playing golf well below my ability and many steps backwards, many incorrect fixes. There was a ton of disappointing and honestly somewhat embarrassing demonstrations of golf. Failure was present. It was a daily and it was a frequent occurrence. During that time, almost all my golf rounds, they were consumed by swing thoughts instead of focusing on hitting golf shots or figuring out a golf course. I mean, guys, golf is hard enough as it is. Adding consistent thoughts about body rotation or club face position, it doesn't make it any easier. There were tons of disasters on the course, and I put some big numbers on scorecards. There were actually a few nights when I walked off the golf course wondering if I'd even be ever a formidable golfer. But although I didn't see it at the time, I was making small improvements each day along the way. Even with all the bad, I really never let it ultimately deter my mindset. I was fortunate enough to have a really good coach and mentor. He straightened me out along the way. He, uh, he provided instruction for the golf, of course, but it was more the serious encouragement and energy that it just delivered motivation I needed in my journey. I learned so much from him, and looking back, my time with him was, it was the beginning of the end of the madness. 
I think it just shows how important it is to have a mentor or somebody guiding you. And it also shows people with a position to impact others how how much you can influence others and the opportunity and importance of that position. And uh, I'm really appreciative of that coach. And if he's listening, I really appreciate you. But finally, this last winter down in West Palm Beach, I found my golf swing. It's not perfect or complete, but I'm proud of it. I'm sure in the future I'll make tweaks and always be working to hone it in. I'm, I'm not the best golfer or I haven't maxed on my ability. There's so much work to do, of course. But the overhauls, the overhauls are done. The constant watching of videos is over. I have a golf swing. And you know what? It might be starting to show up. The best of Minnesota. Every year in July, the PGA hosts the Minnesota State Open Golf Tournament. It's the second biggest golf tournament in Minnesota each year, outside of the 3M at TBC and Blay, and like an actual uh, PGA Tour event for strictly touring professionals like Rory and DJ and those guys. But the Minnesota State Open is a three-day event that hosts the top 150 players from Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, and even some from Wisconsin. It's PGA Minnesota section is just the surrounding kind of northern Midwest area. The fields comprise not only of PGA professionals, though. It's amateurs and many local tour professionals. Basically, it's basically the best players around this area that aren't on tour. And the total prize purse is pretty good. It's about $48,000 with the winner taking home about (laughs) $10,000. Not bad for a few days of golf in Minnesota. There are two different ways to get into the tournament. One way is to get an exemption by placing well in certain events. So for example, you place the top 10 in the state open the previous year, or if you've ever been a winner of the event, you're automatically exempt you know, in the next year or future years. By uh, placing top five in select PGA professional tournaments, you know, we have our PGA professional tournaments each year. If you place well in enough of them, you'll get an exemption into the tournament. But the second way, which is a much more common route, is by qualifying for the tournament through one of the eight qualifying tournaments. Anyone gets a chance to try one of these eight events, but you can't try all eight. You only get to pick one. And that's for a fee of between $100 and $400. It depends on your status. So for me as a PGA professional, it's about $100. But if you were just like a mini touring professional trying to make it on tour, it might be $400. And as an amateur, I think it might be like $200 or kind of in the middle there. So it all depends on your status. But you only get to play in one of the eight events and they give you the option to choose which one you want to play in based off you know, the course style and location and just which one you want to do. So usually there's about 70 players at each qualifying location with a total, again, of about 8 to 12, usually about 10 spots at that each event. So they'll take about 70 total and then you get all the exemptions. Okay, so historically, a round of plus two or better at the qualifier will get you into the state open. So if you look at the past results, if you shoot 74 plus two, you're going to get into the state open. It varies each year, of course, based off the weather and the course conditions, but generally a couple shots over par and you're in the big dance. Present day, the qualifier. You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. It's now present day, summer of 2019. Three years after that summer of golf with Swarney, and two years after the beginning of my golf career. The qualifying event for the State Opens come, and I actually have a shot at making the State Open. 
It's only fitting that my best bud, Swarney, is catting for me this day. I personally think that walking with a caddy is the best and most enjoyable way to play golf. It really is the way that the game was intended to be played. So on the day of the event, we woke up at uh, 5 a.m. and I had slept over at Swarney's the night before. We got up, we went to the gym, I did my pliability, I hit the sauna, I got my body ready to rock. Swarney was in there getting an absolute ripper pump in, the guy was looking big. And uh, <laughs> we got done with our pump, we got changed up, and on the way to the golf course, we had some good conversation, we put a little music on. There was just this excitement in the air. You know, Swarney went into full caddy mode when we got to this range. It was this little, small, wet range, and he was wiping off my clubs as I was hitting. We were getting ready for the day. We went over to the putting green. We rolled some putts. He watched me. He got on the same page about the break and the speed of the greens. We were focused, but it was loose. We were smiling. We were just enjoying the morning. So it was finally time to head to the first tee. The first shot of a golf tournament, it's, uh, it's always a bit nerve-wracking. You don't want to start the day with a bad shot and a big blow-up hole. So when you shake everyone's hands and kind of announce your balls, it's, it, there's, there's a different feeling on the first tee. So I got up to the first tee. It was just an iron for me, thankfully, just a four iron because it was a short hole. I just wanted to put in play. I, uh, I teed it up. <laughs> I made my first swing. The swing was a little quick and out of tempo, but I got good enough of contact to get it on the left side of the fairway. Disaster avoided, thankfully. But in my opinion, the second shot of a golf tournament, it's more important than the first because the second shot determines a lot. If you hit a good shot and you have a good look at birdie, you're kind of in attack mode all day. Like, we're going to dominate this golf course. If you, if you hit a bad shot and you don't hit it how you want it or you're off in a bad spot, then you're kind of scrambling. Like, oh my gosh, I got to save par. You're kind of in save your scramble mode. So the second shot is, is really big. I was, uh, I was up on the left side of the fairway. That's where my ball laid. We were 124 yards from the pin. It was kind of an uphill shot and uh, probably played about 5 to 10 yards uphill. Um, I was pretty juiced up. So we decided on sand wedge. I hit my sand wedge about 120 yards. So it's maybe playing 130 up the hill. I, uh, I took my stance kind of on this side hill. I, I took a confident swing and flushed the shot. I hit it really good. Just a little bit left of the pin. I think we both knew it was going to be a little bit long. We get up there and I'm about 30 feet long of the pin, probably 10 yards. <laughs> I hit my sandwich 140 yards ish on the first swing of the day. It, you know, it really is amazing what we're able to do, what our bodies can produce when we're excited and energized and have that adrenaline flowing. I think it's, I think it's so cool. But I, uh, I two putt the first hole, uh, two putt it down the hill, knocked in my par, boom. Par. 17 more to go. Easy game. We're going to par out. We're going to do this thing. I'm kind of over being scared and afraid to fail in a big moment. And I think, honestly, finding perspective in my life over the last you know six months to a year, it's, it's really helped with this. I, I used to make such a big deal over my score. I put pressure on myself to do well. I, I'd get into safe mode in tournaments, so I didn't make the big number, so I didn't look bad. There's just so much more to life than golf and of course you want to do well. You want to make the most out of each opportunity and you want to work your butt off to be the best that you can be, but it's important to understand what really matters. And I think game perspective has really helped me not only in life, but in golf as well. <laughs> the last two rounds I'd played up to this event, I didn't play very well and I was hitting my driver horribly. And on top of that, the last few times I've played this hole at this golf course, 
the second hole, I uh, hit my drive into the right trees. Both of those times resulted in a bogey and off to a crappy start. So this second hole, it has a bunker right in the middle of the fairway. It's about 270 to the front of the bunker and 300 to carry it. My two playing partners, they both parred the first hole as well, so they went first. They both hit three woods to lay up short, and they both stayed short of the bunker, probably smart play. I was starting to believe. I was done being scared, so I was hitting driver. Swarney handed me the driver. I aimed directly at the bunker. I picked a target, and I just made a full committed golf swing. Boom. I hit the ball in the center of the club face, which is honestly a rarity for me with the driver, if you know me. But it flew down the left side of the fairway, clearing the bunker really without a scare. There was like a serious, let's go, in my head. And I could tell that Swarney was pumped. It left me with a little easy wedge shot in, a little lob wedge, kind of uh, in-between chip, full shot, that I actually hit a good one to about eight feet from the pin, and we walked up there, and I just missed my putt for birdie. I left it short right. I mean, come on, don't leave a birdie putt short. I know, I know. But I was confident. Good shots. I'm now in belief. We're going to do this. The rest of the holes to follow on that front nine, they were a blast. It was, it was by far the best driving performance that I've had in my young golf career. I put myself in position to score well. I was hitting great drives. I just, I didn't wedge it super close and I couldn't make any putts. I mean, you know what they say, drive for show, putt for dough. But it was still a great start. I finished the front nine at even par ahead of the pace that I needed to qualify for state. I looked over at Swarney as we made the turn and I felt this excitement. I could tell he was into it, and it just gave me a sense of gratitude. I felt so lucky to have this great friend with me, and I really enjoyed the moment, and I just felt so thankful to be in that moment, especially with one of my best buds. It was, it was a stage that I had imagined and thought about for a long time. And it's not about becoming a pro or winning or anything like that. It's about having the ability to compete. It's about having an enjoyable walk with a good friend or just enjoying a day while pursuing something greater. It was the opportunity for a hacker like myself and his buddy to have the chance to compete and play with the best players in the state of Minnesota and surrounding areas. It was really special to me, and I could start to feel that it was special to Swarney too. Experience over ego. A wise man can learn from the experiences of others. A fool can learn not even from his own. Historian Will Durant. I wasn't always calm during a tournament round of golf. It took a great deal of rounds to get comfortable and really understand how to handle myself during competition. One of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received was to just go play no matter the circumstance. If there's a money game with the odds stacked against your favor, go play. If there's a tournament that you have no chance of winning, go play. If there's an event where you're probably going to finish last and maybe get embarrassed, go play. I've learned that the only person that's really losing is the one who isn't there. The last few years, I've played in hundreds of matches with coworkers and other local golf professionals. Every day after work or on an off day, I was always looking for a match. And there's a lot of them down south. My first winter down south, I played with some seriously good players in Arizona. One of my uh, former coworkers, 
He was an aspiring tour professional who's on the uh, Corn Ferry Tour, or Web.com Tour now. Guys like him, they, they taught me how to maneuver a golf course, how to hit actual, precise golf shots. I lost a ton of matches that winter in Arizona. I got my butt kicked, honestly. The next winter in Florida wasn't really that different. I played matches with a new set of professionals and friends. This time, I was changing my swing so frequently that I never really caught a groove. But I learned how to get the ball around when my swing was lost and I just needed to hit golf shots. Playing with these talented players down in West Palm and Scottsdale, Arizona, I was able to grasp how they play the game. And as bad and as down as I've gotten after some rounds, I was always able to take away something from a round of golf. I was able to look back and understand and get better from those experiences. It's like I was almost in the classroom, like taking notes. And then my summers in Minnesota, are they were where I experienced really the most personal growth in my game. Because when I'm in Minnesota, I'll play in PGA professional events and local tournaments. It's like the period where it's my actual golf season. The last two years, I've played in probably a few dozen tournaments each year. <laughs> the first couple events I ever played in, they were, uh, they were pretty embarrassing, to say the least. I was, uh, I was really nervous to post a bad score on the scoreboard. And that didn't make the game very fun. I had the wrong mindset. But once I was able to shift that and change my mindset about failure, the game became fun again. I've, I've shot countless tournament rounds in the 80s. I mean, I still shoot rounds in the 80s all the time. And I've placed at the bottom of scoreboards many times. But each time I play, I learn something. I realize what I do wrong and what mistakes I make. And on top of that, I get a little more comfortable each event that goes by. I honestly think that at this point, I don't really fear failure or embarrassment. The real fear that I feel is the absence of progress. The day that I stop growing as a player and much more vitally uh, growing as a person, that's the day that I really do begin to fail. Okay, so we make the turn to the back nine. We're in pretty good form. Hole number 10, it's a short par five. Uh, it's a good hole to get the score under par. I knock an okay drive down the left side of the fairway, and I have six iron into the green. I hit it a little bit heavy, so it rolls up about 10, five yards short of the green. It's a, it's a pretty easy chip and a pretty easy up and down for my birdie. But I'm kind of on this weird side hill lie, and it's making me uncomfortable. I'm indecisive in my club selection, and it leads to a chunk chip, barely even gets on the green, from 10 yards away. I mean, seriously, Austin, good job. But I go up there, I decide to putt it from off the green, I roll it up close to the hole, and I tap in my short par putt, and I kind of storm off the green. In that situation, I let doubt and I let fear sneak in before that chip shot. And it was that insecurity and indecisiveness that led to another instance of failure. As I've said, failure is always present, especially in the game of golf. The next three holes, and we're still at even par, we played them smart and we followed our game plan. We hit two irons off the tee, we hit the middle of the green, we hit the green in all three, and we hit, rolled good putts up there just for easy tap and pars. Stress-free, under-control golf. As we now stand on the 14th tee, my score is at even par. We're right on track. The 14th hole, though, is it's this goofy little dogleg right. 
You have to hit the ball straight up the tee because there's like a hazard left. There's this big tree on the right that blocks off the shot. And if you go too far, you go right into another hazard. So it really is just kind of an easy shot straight. But I'm feeling good. And I let my guard down for two seconds. And I get confident in my head. I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to peel a little curve shot around the tree into perfect position. Well, knowing me, I block my shot right into the right rough behind the tree into just a brutal position. The ball's in this crappy lie in the rough. You got to like hack it out. And I'm like, I can hit this miracle punch shot. Sam, I can roll it up there. It's going to bounce off the front of the green up there to three feet. So when he's like, listen, you can hit a punch shot. Just make sure you get good contact. Let's get it out of here. Get it up there. Well, knowing me, I chunk it out. It goes about 10 yards in front of me into basically the same shot. Now we have to really play safe. So I just hit it out kind of up towards the front of the green. And now we're sitting in front of the green. And we have to go up and down for bogey. Oh, man. Well, I chip my shot up about six feet. Not in really a bad shot. A pretty good, uh, pretty good putt at it. And I just miss it. So it's kind of a sliding putt. We leave with double bogey. <sighs> Two shots in one hole. And now we sit right on the cut line. Plus two, right on the general cut line with no more security, no more cushion. And now we walk over to hole 15, the hardest hole in the golf course. It's a long par three, 215 yards, trees right, out of bounds, deep, big rough left. 215 yards. We get up there. Okay, we're okay. Let's go. I grab my seven iron. Because <laughs> knowing me, I try to hammer clubs. If, I, if it's a hard shot, give me the lowest club. I'm going to swing as hard as I can and just be an athlete. Well, Swarney's like, listen, let's hit a six, maybe a five. That's what the shot calls for. But I didn't listen to him. He's like, okay, well, if you're going to hit that club, don't overswing and pull it left. What did I do? I overswung. I pulled it left, short, short left into the rough. Sorny doesn't say I, I told you so. He's a good guy, but we both know what happened there. Anyway, I hit my chip a little long in a bad position. I chipped it up again because I had to chip again, and I made my bogey. Oh, man. We are now three over par, one off the projected cut line. We had to uh, the next par five. We're still in it. We can still do this. We just need a birdie on one of the last three holes. It's a par five. I actually had a good drive out there, but... We end up hitting a few shots around and we end up making par. Two holes left, need a birdie to have a chance to get in. On the 17th hole, I uh, hit my drive into the right trees. It really was one of the only ugly swings I made all day. And unfortunately, in a really bad position, starting to look dark. We get up there, I kind of kind of punch it through the trees to have any chance. There's actually a tree in the middle of the fairway. And I'm kind of in the right tree. I got to punch it. I see this little gap that I could hit it through. And I grab my four iron. I say, Sam, I'm going to go for this shot. He, he agreed because, you know, what other option do we have? And I attempted the shot. I took my stance. I struck it. Boom, right off the branches. Firm branch. Knocks my ball straight down. Another failure. <sighs> we kind of let out a sigh of disappointment. It felt like, it kind of felt like the fatal blow. But it wasn't over yet. Still had a little bit of belief, and we had to hit this lob. You know, it was 110 yards we had left over this tree right in the middle of the fairway. It actually was a pretty good number, but we needed a good shot. So we grabbed the lob wedge, hit a confident swing up and over the tree, and hit it in there to seven feet. We got up there. We were pretty surprised. I knew it was good, but 
happy to be where I was. We have a chance. So we got behind the putt. I wasn't really sure of the break when I was standing over the putt. It looked like it could really break. I couldn't, I couldn't tell. So I brought Sam in. He, uh, he kind of gave me the line. He said, it's going to be on the left edge, just inside left edge a little bit with some firm pace. I trusted him. I lined it up right on that line, stroked a confident putt, looked up, boom, right in the center of the cup. Enormous par save. We needed it. Up and down from 110 yards. Keep the state open tournament hopes alive. We walked up the green. We strolled over to the final hole. We got one last chance at birdie. We can do this. Loving the process. I know I'm beginning to live the life that I've envisioned because I honestly, I really wouldn't trade a day that I've had over the last three years. I mean, of course, I've had my fair share of bad days. But never did I want to trade my life for a different career or path. And it's not this blissful feeling or it's not even happiness. It's, it's a fulfillment from, from taking the call to, to go after my path. I think that if everyone were given the opportunity or the ability to pursue something that they're really passionate about, or if they just took the leap to do it, they really might feel the same way. It really reminds me how unbelievably fortunate that I am to be raised by my family and given every opportunity that a young man could ask for. With this blessing, I I just feel obligated to wholeheartedly pursue my dreams, to pursue my heart's desire, kind of an honor almost of all the people who haven't had the same luxury, for those who don't have the same opportunity gifted them simply because of the circumstance that they were born into. I think we, that we should all strive to be mindful of our opportunities and platforms. I mean, what would someone less fortunate than you do with all the possibilities that you've had in life? I also think that it's time that we stop pushing the narrative that hard work equals success. I mean, to be successful at something in today's world, at least in my opinion, I think it's a requirement that you work hard. I think that we can all agree that someone who takes life uh, semi-seriously They'll work hard in their craft. At least most people that I know do. I've come to believe that the key to accomplishing unlikely goals is sacrifices. Are you willing to sacrifice the habits and routines that are draining your time, energy, and health? Most people aren't. I mean, I personally struggle with this every day. I'm not on my high horse here. I'm still trying to sacrifice that instant gratification for the meaningful. I think what makes the great leaders truly great is not a question of hard work, but a question of sacrifices. I mean, as Jordan Peterson says, to have meaning is better than to have what you want. I think I'm starting to understand what he really means. The finish. A good friend knows all your best stories. A best friend has lived them with you. All right, we need a birdie to get in. We still have a chance. When we step on the 18th tee, the wind's shifted into our face and it's coming off the left side. I think to myself, one more tee shot. That's all we need, one more. I take my stance, I commit to my shot, and I swing away. And I actually end up hitting another solid drive. It starts down the right side of the fairway, but it kind of starts drifting with the wind. There's a bunker that's on the right side of the fairway. It's kind of close to my landing zone. As the ball falls out of the sky, I don't see it land. I look at Swarney and ask if he saw it bounce, and 
He seems unsure. And the caddy of a fellow competitor I'm playing with says he thinks it's in the bunker. Oh man, fairway bunkers are devastating in my golf game. And they are widely considered as one of the hardest shots in golf. We walk up to the fairway bunker and my ball's not in it. I'm freaking pumped. But as we walk past the bunker looking for my ball, we can't seem to find it anywhere. Eventually, I do walk back to the bunker and I see it just over the bunker in the grass over the lip. My ball is embedded in the side of the hill. Wow. Sports, sports are wild, man. If my ball carried another, I don't know, six inches, it would have bounced over the bunker. It would have left me an easy pitching wedge shot into a nice hole location. Pretty advantageous look at birdie, even for an average golfer. But now, because it embedded in the side of the hill, I have to drop it. You get a free drop in golf when it's embedded. But I drop it. Now I have to take this awkward stance where my club is like, the face of my club is up on my chest. I'm like, my feet are way below my hands. I'm barely even able to stand up straight on this thing. And I have to grip down on some club and just try to hit, you know, the best shot you can to get it up towards the green. Swarney hands me a, a six iron. We talk about the idea of just attempting like a punch style shot. He reminds me to make sure that I actually get solid contact out of that funky lie. I mean, I'd say that's a pretty obvious thought in golf, get good contact, but with me, knowing me, it's probably a good idea that he gave me that reminder. I pick a target on the ball. I kind of pick a target in the distance, just trying to knock this thing out. I, uh, I focus on the back of the ball. I'm gripping the steel of the club. I'm not even gripping the handle because I have to grip down so far on it. And I make my final golf swing of the day. The ball somehow shoots out of the side hill perfectly and it's taking a direct line to the hole. Wow, it's flying with a slight draw that moves it just left to the flagstick. I see it bounce one time, just over the left side green side bunker. And I think this actually might be pretty good, but because of the abnormality of the shot, it's really hard to tell the distance and if it actually you know, would be a good result. Swarney, though, looks at me with excitement. I look up at him. He can't believe the shot. We, uh, we walk up to the final green. We're hopeful for just an opportunity at birdie. But sadly, we don't see my ball on the green. My ball must have just bounced up and ran past, and it was just over the green in the rough. Only like 15 feet from the pin, but because the pin was so tucked on the left side, I, uh, I just trickled onto the rough, leaving me... Kind of an easy chip, actually. It's not one that you like would expect to make, but one that you've made plenty of times in practice and uh, you can definitely give a good run at. So here we go. One more chance to make this happen. I get up to the ball, take my stance, take a look at the hole, and take a full committed little chip shot. I hit the ball and it's going right at the left side of the hole with a right break. It looks perfect. Could it really even go... But before I even finish that thought, the ball veers off right of the green and kind of funnels down on a slope away, about five feet away from the pin, as it was on this kind of nasty little slope. Oh, man, the heart dropped, and there goes my chance. You never know. It could be a plus three. Again, each year is different, so we're going to get up and try to knock this putt in, and you never know. It actually was a tough sliding six-foot putt in the comebacker, and I ended up missing it. So 76, a score of plus four, was my finishing score. It ended up being two shots away from the qualifying score that I needed to make the Minnesota State Open. Once we stand on that final green, we shake hands. 
with our fellow playing partners and their respective caddies, and then Swarney and I embrace on the final green. As we walk off the 18th green, I think to myself, man, that was maybe the most fun I've ever had playing golf, (laughs) at least in a long time. Yeah, of course we came up short, and it was another instance of failure. But it was a freaking awesome day. Following the round, Swarney and I went to a restaurant that we uh, used to go to in our college days. We had a blast. We went over the round. We talked about all the different exciting moments from the, from the event, and there was just a feeling in the air that it was almost as if we accomplished our goal. We were laughing. We were enjoying the good shots, and we were poking fun at some of my bad shots and a couple of the other ones in my group that we played with. I think that one of the most important things that I've learned as I've grown up is that no matter how tired you are or no matter what responsibilities you have tomorrow or the next day, you need to say yes to a good meal with a great friend. The journey continues. It's weird, guys. I've never been ultra competitive or driven by winning. I was really fortunate to be able to grow up in a stable and medium high income family who didn't have to worry about how we were doing money or food or anything. And I think that kind of goes into my drive. Like it wasn't necessary for me to be a better player or it wasn't necessary for me to make a better life for myself or provide for a family. I mean, sure, (laughs) of course, I've wanted to win all the matches I've played in and I really wanted to make the state open tournament. I really pride myself on developing my abilities and working hard. I, I live for the big moments, the opportunity to show your talents and to pull off that crazy, inspiring play. But once I step back from that competition, the result really doesn't matter. I don't feel a sense of entitlement because I beat someone or feel depressed simply because I lost. The self-worth or the fulfillment that I feel it's generally always based on how I perform and not the outcome comparative to others. If I play up to my standard and do what I believe to be my best, I'm truly proud of the outcome. I sincerely, I just love to play the game. With that mindset, I'm going to continue to strive to be the best that I can be. But again, the results will never matter. The journey and the time spent with my brother Swarney will. Swarney and I, we grew up as little kids playing sports in our yards every single day. And I'm sure someday we'll be old men hobbling, walking around, well, let's be honest, riding around a golf course with that same love and passion for the game. I really hope that everyone gets the blessing to have such a great friend like Swarney. He's made my journey so much more enjoyable and fun and and just worth it than than I could have ever imagined. Sam, I'll never be able to thank you enough for the impact that you've had on my life, man. I thank you for your constant, unwavering support, your, just your genuine passion for just sports and golf and for all the memories that we've, we've made on the course together. If I had one more day to play the game, I think you know where we'd be. It wouldn't be some fancy golf course or some big professional tournament. It wouldn't wouldn't be the state open. My last round of golf would be an early morning tea time with you and Andy, starting on hole one of the Oaks course at LC, with coffees in our hands and joy in our hearts. 
hope that this story gives you a nudge to pursue what ignites your heart. I hope it encourages you to share your journey with others. But most importantly, I hope this inspires you to spend more time on the things that hold true value in your life and to do it with the people that you love. Thank you for being here and let's go get it.